that tangible thing is the packaging. And so obviously there's a product inside of there typically, and it's going to communicate so many things on a brand level, on a product level, what it is. And in order to do that, all these pieces come together that design, as we we're talking about the print, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm backing up to the pieces and breaking them all apart as we go. So the substrate is uh, what whatever we print, whatever you're printing on, sometimes you print on the packaging like a box, or you'll print on a pressure sensitive label and stick it on a bottle. And then that whole thing, even the opening it, the experience of that and the tactile feel of the materials that are used uh, to build that print and that packaging, all of those pieces come together. There's a structural side of it. Does it stand on the shelf and, and uh, hold together? And breaking that all down uh, into different components on a bottle, it's the cap when you open it up. Is it a liquid? Is it pouring? Is there a pour spout in there? Uh, and that whole experience that the customer has as part of that entire product, the whole thing, the whole package is that packaging. Today's guest is Michael Keplinger, a managing partner at Smash Brand, a branding and packaging design agency with offices throughout the U.S. We discuss how startups versus established brands approach packaging, the strategic decisions that we make as designers, and the true value of packaging. If you're enjoying these shows, please do leave us a review wherever you're listening to the show. Share a link with your network and let's continue to build this packaging design community. Okay, let's get to the show and please enjoy this conversation with Michael Keplinger. Thanks for joining us. We've got Michael Keplinger from Smash Brand. He's a partner at Smash Brand Packaging and Branding Agency uh, with offices in Boise. Austin and Chicago. Mike, for anybody that's not familiar with you, can you give us a quick introduction of you and, and Smash Brand? Sure. Um, Smash Brand, we are a boutique agency that focuses 100% on consumer products. Uh, so we, and my role at Smash Brand as a partner is to head up the, the strategy and research. Uh, we have an integrated process of uh, testing, um, really consumer testing. Is it going to be effective? And certainly uh, everything that we design goes on to uh, finished goods on a substrate. So the packaging from beginning to end is really what we do. Wow. And so your portion of it on the strategy side, um, you know, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that you're, you're an engineer, more right brain. You're not on the design side. What does that mean for you? Like, what are you doing? Sure. So um, Kevin, my business partner, he's very much the right brain creative director here. And uh, we've been partners for a very long time. But uh, I think as an agency, really, our model is quite unique because we really focus a lot on this, this data and, um, and kind of getting the strategy. So to answer your question and how it applies to a packaging design project, um, you know, we're big believers of it. before anything, um, you just really have to put a great product on the shelf. And uh, sometimes there are amazing products that have that aren't really bringing that to life. And there's mediocre products that could be made uh, really amazing just by having a really good strategy of looking at it. So there's really twofold. We just immerse ourselves in the market, in the, in the competitive marketplace, and uh, and come up with a strategy, whether it's uh, from design for design, of course, and messaging and positioning, and um, you know, actually down to even where the a different box or bottle could uh, make an impact on on how that goes and then moving into into the design and our team uh, bringing those ideas to life uh, on the tail end of that and really integrated into it, um, simulating a buying experience for consumers to measure if it's going to work or not. So that's a lot, 
right? Yeah, that's that's right. even before you get to design, right? So, yeah. So when you're talking about the data and you're you're gathering it and to see how how it's going to actually play in the market, you know, what kind of what kind of testing are you doing on the front end on our on our um, strategy side? Uh, it's really tra- traditional research. It's it's a lot of work. It's very important work. Uh, every brand should do it. We're so competitive today. So many products. Uh, especially in the CPG world on the shelf, uh, go to the grocery store. And so that work is critical to, to ensure success of a product. And, um, and really, it's just kind of trying to find that white space. I think that uh, I would explain it as looking at all these different pieces and trying to find, uh, find little things that uh, maybe other people might think are disconnected and trying to create a connection between them. And it kind of gets in there and, and developing a product strategy around that. Um, I mean, we could talk about some specifics of, of products that you know, are common and categories people yeah. are know and are familiar with to kind of bring some life to that. But, but really, that's where the strategy is at. And those are going to define um, you know, the pillars of what we would say are success, like the drivers of what's likely going to cause someone to be excited uh, uh, to buy the product and those purchase drivers. And so on the tail end, when that, when that goes in there and our design team is focused on that um, and any designer really sh- needs to have a good strategy of bringing that to life. And then um, the testing is on the tail end of that to basically ensure that we hit the mark. Awesome. And when you're talking about like specifics, so give me one, one specific. Sure. Um, I can give you an example of a project we did not too long ago um, for an applesauce. And uh, everybody, there's probably not a single person listening to this that has never, doesn't know what applesauce is, but they also right. probably have some pretty strong convictions about who applesauce is for and, and when you eat it. And they're most likely probably not interested in it as an adult yeah. because traditionally it's for children and so, so you know, it's older. For, it's when for kids. It's for and kids. your teeth don't work. <laughs> it's for kids and when you're older and if you're having like pork chops. Like that's that's it. right. <laughs> right. So you, and if that's you, which is probably 99% of all of us, right. uh, if you're walking down the aisle in the grocery store, you're not going to pay any attention to the applesauce that's there. So how do you, as a brand that has this amazing idea of, um, and knowing that the trends are very spot on for, uh, for snacking and we're always on the go and kind of afternoon snacking and moving away from more dense foods like yogurts or something like this, that this is a great snack if you actually can make it more appetizing to adults. Um, and so there, the research, like how do you interrupt what your brain is already stuck? Like applesauce is not for me. Right. Um, but surely if you're, you know, if it's a sampling and it's in front of you and, and you're like, okay, I'll try this, that you can interrupt that. But usually that's not how it's done. So that's where um, we need a strategy about how we can interrupt the way people think about it. And, um, and in that research, we might discover that, hey, um, you know, applesauce is always like really runny and smooth. And so this more chunky stuff uh, is different. And then, um, and then through design, too, of making it feel very different from what you would expect to see from an applesauce. And then tying that also in uh, on the product side of developing it um, with our, what our client already had a plan for this anyways, was bringing in flavors that uh, like tamarind or, or uh, different like Jamaica and things like this, that sure. if your brain just catches that out of the corner of your eye, like that is not for a child. <laughs> and so you're intrigued. And so these are, that's an example of how, um, how you're using strategy to kind of interrupt the consumer so that you can grab their attention and then maybe uh, let the packaging go a layer deeper into uh, kind of unfolding that story of what the product's all about. So what did that uh, applesauce pack end up being? Because typical applesauce comes in the little 
you know, the little cup with the peel away top, or they're coming in like the, the squeeze, uh, you know, the squeeze, the squeeze bottles. Sure. The squeeze yeah. pouches. Right. Uh, well, not a squeeze pouch. I think that actually, we even did some testing on that and that was highly anchored towards children. And so yeah. that's kind of a no-go. And, um, you know, along those lines too, and now we start to talk about how the strategy involves what you're actually going to put the product in. And uh, initially, uh, and it would it makes a lot of sense that this is in like a high-end jar and uh, you'll see some some different, uh, maybe some really high-end, um, like I forgot the Uvi uh, yogurt yeah. that comes in a jar and it's got, you know, all this like kind of laser cut edges to the, to the glass and it just, it looks really nice. And um, so that will work, but now you've got cost constraints and you, you start to look at uh, where, where that pushes your price point and it's just not really feasible. Um, there's also drivers too, you know, they were uh, getting into Walmart. Walmart said, we don't want glass, uh, it's problematic. And so now you, now here you are with, um, you know, moving towards uh, different ideas and, and trying to stay different. And so I think, you know, if you took those cups of applesauce that they're always those, you know, opaque, clear cups and, and so trying to avoid that, but having a custom die made with, um, with plastic. Uh, but white and like a soft touch white. So you're elevating uh, more like a yogurt container than, yeah. uh, than an applesauce. And so those are definitely all a lot of drivers that fit into, um, into kind of conveying what this product is uh, just by what it sits in. Sure. So the, the parameters start to funnel you into one direction, right? You've got on one side, pouch immediately is for toddlers, right? So they don't squeeze all over the place or make right. a mess. And then on the other side, you've got the high-end glass, which Walmart, one of the, you know, I mean, whatever Walmart says, they're, they're going to, they're going to get. So no glass. So it, it kind of funnels you into, it limits your ideas. And then you get to this uh, plastic molded container. That's right. And, um, and, and that, and then also you have to, so those are very pragmatic choices. Um, but then you have the perception issue about how the consumer perceives that bottle. Is it make it seem cheap? Does it make it seem premium? Uh, so you kind of weigh all those things in as well. Sure. And on something like that, typically applesauce, I see it, you know, in the aisles, it's not refrigerated or anything like that. So does this compete in that same space? It does. And um, they, you know, slotting is an important factor too, when you're, even when you're planning, you know, the substrate and what it's going to go into, uh, ideally they would love to be in the quick, quick and go grab and go section of single serve um, snacks, because a lot of people do that. They're on their lunch break and they just jet into the grocery store and grab something to eat. Um, and so they're not going to look in, in like the, uh, the bulk section, right. right? And it's not that it's bulk, but like just a typical four pack or six pack. And so um, what they, what they, in their planning of that packaging, you, um, you have to really think about them standing, um, uh, that both of those standing alone. So meaning that the, as a single serve package uh, and what that would look like to be attractive sitting in the refrigerated section next to the yogurt. Cause it's really their, their competition is, is a substitute of another snack you might eat. It's not other applesauce. Uh, because the consumer is so much different. And, um, but then going in and putting that and will also fit into a four pack, which is what they decided on um, to sit on the shelf next to the other applesauces, which is actually uh, where they had to start and, and get that traction moving before they can kind of convince uh, the, the big top stores that they can put it into the other side. Sure. So there's a lot that goes into packaging, 
right? <laughs> like there it's not so just, much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not just the technical side of, you know, engineering a pack and, you know, putting the graphics on it. There's a lot of conversation and data and strategy that have, that has to you know, come together before you actually put something on shelf. Um, you know, if we take a step back, how do you get into packaging? Like, <laughs> how did I right? Um, you know, I went to school for computer engineering and now I'm <laughs> running strategy and testing for consumer products. I'm basically a marketer. Hmm. Um, so my business partner, Kevin, and I actually over 20 years ago, uh, we worked together in a technical role and uh, we left that role to start our own consumer brand. We had a nutrition company or, or a brand that's actually still sold today that we still own and, and, and manage. And, um, you know, as a startup, so I've walked the shoes of a lot of uh, those companies that are doing this from the get-go and, and uh, you have to really learn it all quickly and on the fly. And, and most of it, unfortunately, are through, um, you know, there weren't a lot of podcasts and things like this back then. So, or even YouTube for that matter. So you, there's a lot of trial and error in, in learning there. So, you know, hopefully some of those learning lessons come forward, but, but certainly um, through the years of, of several brands and doing it for ourselves and understanding what works and what doesn't work all the way from, you know, as we're talking about of, uh, you know, the packaging and then of course the branding and bringing that to life and, and, and designers is really uh, where the idea of Smash Brand came from when we launched 10 years ago. That was the piece of owning our own product product brands. It was the the inventive part of it, the the being the entrepreneur and coming up with new stuff that really was where our passion was at. And, um, you know, the beauty of Smash Brand is we get to do it over and over and over again for clients. So that's a uh, that's what that's what kind of drives us and, and makes us passionate about it. You launched your own product, man. And what was the what was the biggest hurdle you felt like when you started moving into packaging? Right, because at that point you're you know you're at that startup stage, which everybody has. And startups back then are completely different than startups today. And startups today are getting funded, you know, left and right. Back then, you know, the, the, the VC world wasn't uh, what it looks like today. Yeah. Uh, I can remember back there, um, you know, the cost of digital print is so much, it's, it's almost on parity at certain quantities. So mm -hmm. you have a little more flexibility, but uh, I painfully remember, um, printing, you printing plates, you think your art is done, you know, the color separation, four color process, maybe you have a spot color in there and, uh, you know, every one of those plates is $250 and, uh, and then you run your production, your print line and it's like $5,000 of labels and there's a mistake. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. So, oh, you can't, um, or, or the, you know, something that looked great on the screen, for example, we were using foil labels and it, uh, it looked great, but you can't represent what foil metallic is going to look like on the screen. And so you just, you know, the designers represent it with a gray and you tell the printer that it's going to look like it. So, you know, good lesson learned is always print a test print. Um, and it looked great, but the thing is, uh, when you print black ink on 100% foil, uh, you can't read it. It's not very re readable. And at certain angles, there's so much reflection that it, it loses it. So there's tricks like that, and there's that's one of many that we've learned over time. For that particular one, we actually now always, if we're ever using a, a treatment like that, we're going to print at least a 10% black over the top of it. It's almost not visible, but it just kind of breaks the uh, just dulls out, the yeah. reflection. Yeah. Or you can laminate it with a with a matte finish and it looks really good and it makes it um, very readable as well. Yeah. So those are like the, the critical lessons, right? That from building your own brand, you start learning some of these little tips and tricks that you can apply. I mean, I'm sure you're still applying that stuff today, right? Absolutely. Somebody comes to you with like a foil label, you're like, yeah, this is a problem. Let's Let's fix it. 
Yeah, there's, uh, and it's across the spectrum, really. I mean, on the marketing side, that's what our testing is really designed to catch is that consumer perception. Uh, you and I could walk down the aisle of any grocery store and I have a trained eye for it now, but I can find things like, look at that. It just doesn't make sense. And we would have, you would have caught that in testing. And then, and then on the other side, um, you know, when you actually are going to take that to print of knowing what that's really uh, the impact, you know, on is we, we have all these digital tools and Photoshop and Illustrator yeah. and we start, we put an artwork out there that looks fantastic on the screen. Uh, but then you realize, oh, it's going on an aluminum can and, uh, and the print <laughs> process that they're going to use there is very, is quite limited and uh, it's not going to look like that. And so those, all those different pieces together are really uh, a, a design that a designer puts forward can have a really huge impact um, on the print process. The print process can have a huge impact on how that's actually going to look in print. Sure. So, you know, with all your experience in building your own brand and, you know, running this agency that only focuses on packaging, what is packaging? Packaging, that's a really good question. And um, I, I uh, it's everything. So I like the best explanation is to start, start at the top or start at the end and move backwards. Um, but any store in Amazon too, there's a physical product coming, coming to you that you purchase, uh, and it's in your hand, that tangible thing is the packaging. And so obviously there's a product inside of there typically, and it's going to communicate so many things on a brand level, on a product level, what it is. And in order to do that, all these pieces come together that design, as we we're talking about the print, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm backing up to the pieces and breaking them all apart as we go. So the substrate is uh, what whatever we print, whatever you're printing on, sometimes you print on the packaging like a box, or you'll print on a pressure sensitive label and stick it on a bottle. And then that whole thing, even the opening it, the experience of that and the tactile feel of the materials that are used uh, to build that print and that packaging, all of those pieces come together. There's a structural side of it. Does it stand on the shelf and, and uh, hold together? And breaking that all down uh, into different components on a bottle, it's the cap. When you open it up, is it a liquid? Is it pouring? Is there a pour spout in there? Uh, and that whole experience that the customer has as part of that entire product, the whole thing, the whole package is that packaging. Yeah, and it, it's funny because like, you're right. Even, you know, even today, product, the product is the packaging, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of product designers moving into packaging because they, they kind of straddle both. So for, you know, for example, uh, you know, your, your phone, right? Your phone, like that's it. You're not buying this phone because of the way that it fits in your hand. You're buying it for all, everything else that it delivers to you. The phone, the physical phone ends up being the package for your ability to get online for all these different things. And you're seeing these designers kind of cross over into packaging and apply a lot of that same, uh, you know, strategy to to structure and to materials. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think the smaller brands they just don't have the budget to think too far past that because then they'll start to see, um, oh, how much does a custom bottle really cost to produce? <laughs> But there is um, so much innovation that can happen when you think about the user experience, the customer, and and you touched on it. Many products, you know, some of them, I'm, if I'm eating a granola bar, it's going to communicate something to me, and then I'm going to tear it open and throw that in the trash while I eat the granola bar. But if I'm buying a, a toilet bowl cleaner and I'm Clorox, which is, this is actually some some innovation that they did not too long ago. Um, you'll find that bottle now, uh, they understood how they use it. It's like a typical bottle and they always just kind of had a pour spout, but now they, they built a, like a hook on it because it needs to squirt underneath that lid. And so the, the, um, the bottle itself is very much part of the differentiation of the product um, and, and its functional use. 
The uh, another example too, and it's not always functional, but uh, soap. It's just such a generic thing that no one really thinks about. Hand soap, and a famous example with method soap that uh, really their innovation was they thought of the they thought of the soap which sits out on the countertop or in the bathroom as something that people uh, aren't going to just stuff under the under the cabinet every time they use it. As being part of the decoration of the home, and、uh, I think that you could attribute a lot of the success to to Method Soap to them thinking, rethinking packaging, and that it wasn't just what the product, what was inside of there, but what they were going to do with that. And so all the soaps were matching with colors, clear bottle. They actually had a custom made、um, bottle for that that was very stylistic. And、um, so I think that as, as designers and product managers and and brand managers think about,、um, sometimes you have this product and it's such an afterthought. I have to put it into some packaging.、Right. But、uh, you know, I challenge you to think about how you can think long and hard about the packaging itself to、uh, use it to your advantage to make it actually part of the product and part of the differentiation.、Oh, absolutely. And you guys have, I mean, you guys have worked on. A million different brands. I'm kind of. I'm just flipping through. You've got, you know, Duracell. Tell me a little, little bit about that project and, and what was the what was the innovation that you guys delivered? Sure. And、um, that one's going to be the opposite of what I was just talking about because, <laughs> you know, when you talk about a price point and, and Duracell, they manufacture their own product, and so the, they've got tens of millions of dollars built into a production line.、Uh, not to mention that that、uh, it's probably the cheapest way that you can make that packaging, but it's critically important because pennies matter. Right. Um, and so they weren't looking for, nor could they afford.、Uh, there's a reason that every set of AA batteries comes in the same types of packaging because it's it's kind of distilled down to a necessity、uh, for how competitive the cost is there.、Um, so for Duracell, the challenge was quite different, and、uh, because you can't innovate on that, and because the the cells themselves have become more commoditized. Uh, you've got, you know, Kirkland and Amazon, which are generics but very, very widely known brand names that are you know, dominating the market on these, these,、uh, and and really for batteries, it all comes down to the AA. That is where all the money is at.、Um, so they, you've got a dilution of differentiation of brand differentiation because consumers are basically getting trained that they're all the same. And and so Duracell, it, it's not 100% there yet, and、uh, their competitors are basically do everything they can to copy, almost push up against、um, who they are to try and mimic them, which is so common for、uh, you know followers of a market leader. And so their challenge was,、um, and if you go back and look at what their packaging at the time had looked like, it almost got confused with、um, uh, Energizer. And and then you've got Ryovac and all these other brands that are just like wait I can't even quickly、um, find this brand to stand out and so their number one kind of ask was ownable what can we do that's ownable、um, so if you look in the marketplace today、uh, that is why their chosen design is the entire package looks like the product it's a black with with copper top. I mean that's their branding, that's their brand colors, and while another brand may be able to use those colors, they can't put them together like that without really infringing on it. And so、um, that is was the most standout thing. And then and and so we're always looking for when we're talking about strategy and packaging and how it comes together. It's、um, I always think of packaging as the first impression. And、uh, you meet someone and the way that they dress, they always talk about it. Sure, they've got a good personality or things like this, and, and but until you get to that personality,、uh, you got to get past that first impression. And、uh, so we always have this notion when you're packaging is what are you leading with? What is what's my first impression?、Uh, a product might have ten. 
things that are important about it and, and differentiation wise, um, but you can really lead with one or two. And so with a, with a Duracell, it was it was be ownable. Think think copper top because that's what they own. Um, and other brands, it could be something very different. Sure. And looking at, uh, I mean, looking at Duracell, right? The, I mean, the product itself looks like the packaging and vice versa. So you definitely own that space. Um, when you're talking about something like uh, completely different, if we're going into like the whiskey, you guys worked on Whistle Pig. Uh, in alcohol and spirits, you've got, you know, it, it's all about, do- it's, it's dollars everywhere, right? But with alcohol, you're either going into a stock bottle because you don't have the, the volume or, or the funds or like what you guys did with the whistle pig, which is a complete design. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about, about that and how you kind of, you know, the testing that goes into, into that market and um, you know, how you ended up with this result. Sure. I, um, whistle pig's an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you're a whiskey drinker, but uh, they've been around for a while and they've won a lot of awards, a really small batch. And uh, prior to this product that we worked on, the cheapest bottle whistle pig was pushing $200 a bottle. Um, So they really were out of touch. They were in the very high-end whiskey connoisseur market. And you've got, and I I like whiskey too, and I tend to like whiskeys that are similar um, to what Whistle Pig makes, but I'm not a $200 bottle buyer. I don't like it that much. (laughs) So I would, uh, you know, even Gentleman Jack, which is Mm -hmm. almost three times as expensive as as, um, as the uh, Jack Daniels, but it's just a really smooth, really, really nice refined whiskey. And um, there's a lot of movement in there. Maker's Mark is kind of uh, mm-hmm. a little below that, but in that kind of realm, you've got uh, more of a premium whiskey. It's, it's certainly at a higher price point, maybe like pushing $50 a bottle. So what they wanted to do was grow the line by getting into some of that market. So it takes some of that market share away from those kind of higher end uh, whiskeys that you'd find in the store. And so now when you take that and um, who they are, that when you talk about the strategy and where the bottle comes in, of course, too. um, So whistle pick already has place in the consumer's mind. um, And they, it's a very important and it's a very good one. It's a very solid one. So any strategy moving forward with a lower price point uh, product is um, it's important to not dilute where they, where they started and where they already have established. And so while you might think that you always want to put your product in uh, the, the best bottle you can ever find, in the case of Whistle Pig, it actually uh, made sense for them to have a bottle that was a little more you know, common, so to speak, because they, they, uh, they, in this particular case, which I know is actually rare, but they were actually moving down market as opposed to up market because they, they already owned it. And, um, and so as we looked at the design and how we did it, um, we wanted to keep uh, move away from this feeling of ultra premium and really get down to what was still a brand level uh, idea for Whistlepig. And it's that they are a small, um, a small farm in Vermont and all of the rye is, uh, built, is grown there. So it's got that whole play on the, the handcrafted feel. And so as you look at that design, um, some of the design elements there, uh, farm stock on the back, there's uh, we came up with a, a concept of like a thumbprint and it really led to this handcrafted feel. And so we could, um, as you think about the brand and what they represented, we could use uh, soft touches like lightening up uh, this premium feel by moving into a little bit more. It's still a great bottle, but moving into something that is a, a little more stock and um, and lightening up on some of the other elements that were already there on the logo itself for um, branding to keep the position where it was and make it feel that it fit with the brand, but it was, it should be priced lower. Sure. And when you're, 
And, and you're right, most brands move up market, right? So Gentleman Jack as an example from Jack Daniels, right. this everyday bottle to this premium feeling, you know, you have to over almost premiumize this, this experience to make up for the fact that you're competing against, you know, what high schoolers aren't supposed to be drinking, but you know, what high school, <laughs> right, you know, exactly. right. Um, to something that, that you want as an adult. When Whistle Pig, you know, you've got something that the connoisseurs are, are experiencing and you don't want to dilute that by going too far down. Can you, when you're moving down market, is it possible to go too far? It is. And I think if you go too far, what you really want to consider is, a, is either a completely different brand or a sub-brand. Uh, Whistle Pig, uh, we didn't feel that they needed it, but um, you'll see that uh, sometimes where you'll have, uh, you know, there'll be a really strong brand and then they'll call it the essentials or or they'll kind of cue off like a subline. Um, and it's a signal to consumers that you're getting less. And so even though, but you can, you can leverage the strength of, of the existing brand. And um, so a sub brand would be where it's still um, marketed like this. And, and the example is not right for um, different quality, but for example, Nike is a big overarching brand and you've got Nike basketball and everything in there is basketball. I would consider that a sub brand to Nike. Um, but different examples are um, where you might have an endorsed brand and there's a new brand that comes out up in front and it'll say, you know, buy, buy Nike, not Nike. So if Nike was to introduce, um, you know, rollerblades or something yeah. and it was uh, endorsed by Nike. So it's, it would create some separation. And so now we're kind of talking about uh, a brand architecture and brand strategy and, uh, and trying to fit everything together conceptually. And certainly as you talk about, um, and some of the reasons why you would do that, as you, as you address a new audience, and especially when there's different large gaps in price point, I think those are some, some uh, issues where you have to think very carefully about how, um, how you structure the architecture of that brand. Sure. And you know the fact that you've already that you've launched several brands of your own, and you've been part of this agency. You, you launched this agency with you know tons of clients and lots of different varying experiences. It's like every experience that you have, it just adds like one more notch to that amount of information that you've got, like you know that you can apply to the next project. When we're talking about startups, because you know, we've got we're talking about ex existing brands, we're talking about existing brands. But when we're talking about startups, what can the startup do on the packaging design side to keep from getting lost against you know some of these giants? I think the best thing that they can do, it's immer total immersion. And um, there's different ways to go about it, but there, it's so, con well, two things happen, many things happen, but uh, it, you know, there might be some very sophisticated brands that come out with products and they become very competitive in some category. And uh, it's the market and the people that change and they don't keep up with it. And so you're looking for, you're looking for something that is uh, different in a way that matters, like a point of differentiation. Um, and so one way is to recognize how trends might have changed and jump in there. But also on the other side, um, and you see this a lot with uh, products that are in Amazon. I love Amazon because there's, there's just no closer connection with um, the consumer and, and their feedback. Uh, Amazon Q&A. Amazon reviews. I, if you've got a product and you're entering a category, uh, even if you have no intention of selling on Amazon, go on Amazon, read every single thing that you can, and you'll start to see patterns and you'll see, and you'll find uh, where customers needs aren't being met and uh, where um, you can find some opportunity. And, and so, and then the, the art is really of um, sometimes it's obvious and your brand or your product fits that need very well. Uh, but sometimes it's very subtle and you can actually just uh, almost have 
a product that is so so similar, but you you word it or, or message it differently, and it it actually addresses um, this kind of need that that is unmet in the marketplace. For startups, then just to clarify, if you're you're launching a, a new you're launching a new soda company, right? It's going in a can. You can't really change that structure. But um, you know, as you're going through Amazon, you're researching what people are what people are complaining about, what people are pr praising. You, know, you can take that information and you know move things on a list. You've got things that you don't that you don't necessarily want to do because you're going to copy, and then the things that you do want to do because other people are doing it badly. Is, is that is that a you know like a simple dumbed down way to kind of go through that? It is. And if you were if you were pulling out a, a notebook and and putting them down two columns, I would call them mm -hmm. category drivers and brand drivers. And your category drivers are, um, it's, it's table stakes. It's the stuff that um, if I'm a consumer that cares about organic foods and I'm looking in the bread section, I am going to, in two seconds, dismiss everything that doesn't quickly tell me that it's organic. And so that is a, that's a driver, a category driver. There's nothing unique about an organic bread. There's plenty of organic breads. It is actually a like a subcategorization within there. And so um, and consumers care about different things. And so you have to find where, what you care about or what your product, uh, what, you know, segment of the, the whole audience of that product category is addressing. And then, um, and there's probably 10 things that matter and uh, they matter in varying degrees to consumers. And so um, you have to thoughtfully think about uh, which ones you want to include. But so those are things that if you don't have it, I'm not even going to consider you. And so then, and then you get to the sex, next side, you've got, let's say you've distilled it down to three products that fit into all the things that the needs that you want. And now I'm focused on what makes these products different. And those are your brand drivers. And that's where you should have some pretty solid differentiation. And the differentiation doesn't always have to come, as I've said, from what's inside, inside the can, bottle or box. It can come from the packaging itself, does it function differently? It can come from an emotional level with a connection with the brand and a story and things like this. And so um, when they think about it is uh, the absolute, um, another piece of advice that I would give is in today's day and world, um, there is no more mass market, really. People self-select into uh, what they want and uh, it's maybe better to start narrow to get that traction, get the things and you can always kind of expand your audience as you move along. But uh, if you've got a product that is uh, in a hundred people that are looking for a product like that, it's only, it's only, it's not great for 99. It's probably because it's the absolute most perfect thing for that one person. <laughs> and uh, when they see it, they don't even think of anything else because you, you have the perfect product for them. And so um, I'm not afraid to go narrow, especially on a brand new product launch in a really competitive space. And uh, it's probably, it's almost a universal maximum in truth that uh, if you try and be uh, everything for everyone, you'll, you're basically nothing for, any, for, for anyone. <laughs> so um, I've got a startup, it's a soda company. I've addressed all these needs. What's my next step? You know, how do I, how do I launch that product and how do I make packaging like the hero? You know, I, sure. I think of, I think of uh, liquid death water, <laughs> you know? You know with, I don't think, I know what guys? you're saying. And yeah. I don't know that that opportunity is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, because of consumers of expectations, there's, you know, 12 ounce cans. I, it was, you know, a simple thing, but I think, uh, the innovation that happened just by changing the shape of the can when they went to, you know, some products. And I know that it was the eight ounce Red Bull that really drove this. 
Um, and uh, they just kind of took the same size height of a can and, and made it more narrow. But, but now you'll find 12 ounce, 12 ounce cans in a more narrow shape. Uh, you look at, uh, and there's some, some, right. Yeah, exactly. And there's a subconscious thing there, right. That's going on. That is uh, it's subconsciously like, I'm going to be skinnier if I drink red <laughs> white claw instead of this big 12 ounce can, uh, like the short, the short fat Heineken keg barrels, right. right. There's a very, um, but I think as we're talking really about these, these, whether it's a designer or you own that brand, I can tell you from experience that uh, we'll put a timeline out with a client on, and it, it is our ability to deliver on this. And uh, these are physical, tangible products. And there's so much complexity in, uh, you know, the supply chain, the suppliers mm -hmm. that uh, 95 out of hundred projects are, uh, they unexpected on uh, new brands, they unexpectedly stall out for months um, when they get one. So we'll, we, we do all this work on the front of the packaging and mm -hmm. we're really kind of getting that whole story and the feel right. And then we, we flip it up and they're like, okay, that's it. We're going there. And then you flip it over and now we're like, oh, I uh, actually have to read the FDA guidelines. Um, I need to understand how much, oh, I got a quote, how much it's going to cost to print it. Um, we can't use spot colors. We're actually going to do four colors and, um, and all these little pieces, UPCs and all these things are, could have easily been happening in parallel and uh, don't, do not underestimate, um, how, how long it takes to bring all those pieces together that I, you know, I would call kind of that back of the package. And when you're actually ready to put an order in to print this, whatever it is, um, so all those things can happen in parallel, even before, you know, your, your final art is, is even close to being done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's funny you talk about the organic bread as an example. Uh, I was speaking to Dr. Andrew Hurley, uh, from Clemson and they do, you know, they do all of these studies and, and, you know, eye tracking studies and stuff on packaging. Uh, one of the examples that he used was for eggnog. They did these studies on the way that design affected uh, purchasing purchasing decisions. And basically it was, no matter how premium the pack was, if you didn't have a picture of eggnog on the box, it sold like 45% less. Yeah, People didn't even want to touch it. You know, So it could be super minimal and clean and beautiful as, from a design standpoint. But if there was no photo of like eggnog in a glass, nobody would buy it. You know, And, and those are the types of things that people you know, fail to consider is like how much packaging really affects perception. It uh, does. Uh, food especially. People want to see what they're going to eat before they buy it. Yeah. So um, I, had, I could tell you a whole story on that, but uh, I don't know <laughs> if we have time for, for it, but <laughs> cool. Man. Now, as we're, you know, we're, we're heading to, to wrap this up here a little bit. Um, but, you know, as an example, native, you know, native deodorants launched uh, not too long ago and they, they just sold uh, not too long ago for a hundred million bucks. Uh, to PNG, you know, a part of that I feel is the packaging. Um, what's what's packaging's role in marketing your product? Uh, um, when you say packaging, just so I clear on how to frame the question up. Yeah. Our, uh, you know, I began with it, my my definition of what it is, and and certainly the brand is a big part of that. Um, in CPG, the packaging is the product. It, there's, there's, I'd say 95% of consumers don't go to the websites. They don't probably don't really pay attention to advertisements or commercials like we used to. Uh, so the packaging is the product. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm brand first and the brand is the most important thing. And, uh, but, uh, your, back to your question, are, are we talking about like the physical element of the packaging, like strip away, strip away that art and the brand and how important is that substrate that we would kind of call the piece of that whole packaging piece, the substrate, or, um, just kind of w which piece of that do you? Sure. Sure. No, that, no, absolutely. So the, I think the entire pack, right. From shape, substrate, 
hand feel to graphics, like how important, you know, what's that, what's packaging's role when we're talking about that entire pack in marketing, you know, how <laughs> I probably answered that because a minute ago, which I said, and I just believe so firmly in, yeah. you know, in today's day and age that on a CPG product, the packaging is everything. Um, and it just, and, but the pieces, and there's so many and it's complex, they all have a role in it. And we have this notion of it all being a recipe and there's so much yin, yin and yang. And, um, you know, you can create a really busy packaging and then you lighten it up and it just feels more airy and more inviting and, and coming in here, but, but you probably lost some messaging. So now you're not, you're like, oh, that's such an important thing to say. And um, you can't do both. And then, um, and you can have, you can have the design be such a center front of, of the package. And then maybe the substrate, the bottle, it doesn't matter that it's a stock bottle that every other product is in. Um, or you've got a product that uh, is, um, you know, very similar and maybe Siegel ingredients, like almost a commodity product. And um, you can be very uh, clever about finding, you know, some sort of substrate that has some functional attribute to it. Um, like we talked about with Messed Soap and the, the Clorox Toilet Bowl Cleaner. Um, so all of these pieces come together and um, you have to, you can't think of one. This is where I know this for a fact from testing because, uh, you know, there's just, you know, we're not communicating something well enough. And, and I thought of this and I kind of smirked when you were talking about that testing from Cornell, was it Cornell or um, on the food on the packaging? Because uh, a project we're working on with uh, a guacamole and, and uh, it's actually testing really well and it did not test as well, surprisingly, when uh, you actually put a picture of the avocados on there. <laughs> and I was like, you know, actually, that actually goes against uh, the norms, exactly the research you're talking about. And, um, and, you know, working with the client, uh, we basically data said, well, it works better without. He's like, well, we're not ready to let go of that yet. <laughs> and so, um, and this is such the perfect example about how it all comes together as a recipe. And so we, what we decided to do was kind of um, bring the, bring the, like the, the weight, the, the font weight of some really important messaging down a bit um, and to create some white space. And, and then it, and then put the, the uh, avocado back in there, retested it. And now we were had a winning recipe because, uh, and nothing changed except for the creating the opening the space up. So it didn't feel so, so busy. Sure. And, and looking at that pack, is it the Yucatan guacamole? That's right. Yucatan. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, looking at that, at that pack at first glance, you don't see the avocado. Yeah. So I guess that's, yeah. That well, was... it's, it's specifically for, and I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure if we have the squeeze in there. That's a more of a, I'm a perfect example too of, uh, of innovation with the product because we all, we've all opened our thing of guacamole to see it start browning about 12 hours later, right. <laughs> but that squeeze, the air never touches it and you've got fresh guacamole for, um, for 10 days. And so, but the problem is in, in, when you've got a clear bottle, you can see the product and that's right. what, you know, consumers want. And now we've got this, uh, just with the way the, the functionally, how the packaging on a squeeze is built, it's, it's difficult to, to, uh, to make it with, uh, see-through same that's way. Right, yeah. And so that's what, that's why it was even more important to show the avocado and the ingredients really to uh, the recipe, you know, does it have the tomato and the diced and the garlic and onions? Yeah. Awesome, man. So Mike, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, if you want, anybody wants to reach out to smash man, what's the best place for them to find you? Sure. You can, um, you can email me directly, Michael at smashbrand.com. Uh, you know, love to chat with, if you're love talking to entrepreneurs too, it's like, that's why we're in this business. Yeah. It's, it's probably the passion of it. Uh, we still have brands we bring to market and, um, 
speaking of which, if anyone's listening, I would love to find someone that wants to kind of manage the day-to-day of those. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyways, I know that's a little out there. And, uh, but this is what we do. It's what we're passionate about. You know, smashbrand.com, you, uh, we write a lot too. There's a lot of articles in there. Some of the stuff we've talked on, we go a little more in depth too. And, and just kind of uh, looking at the case studies of how, how we've done that. Awesome, man. Really appreciate you coming on, man. You know, thanks so much. Um, I'll have links in, uh, in the show notes, uh, for you, the team, uh, on LinkedIn and, uh, your agency. All right, Belial, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, Mike. This is Mike Keplinger on Package Design Unboxed. Thanks for listening to the show. Please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcast. Once again, my name is Belio Matos. This is Package Design Unboxed. Thanks for listening.